So Jesus, we ask that you would use those words to shape us, mold us, make us more like you, and help us to experience you more in our lives. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, hello. Good to see all of you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. All of, us, all of you in this room, there's lots of you. Oh, welcome back from the playoffs. It's been awesome. Um, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, I want to start by asking a couple of questions for you to keep in mind. Have you ever been unfairly judged? Maybe had your actions misinterpreted and given a negative spin that you didn't intend? Or what about labels that maybe people have kind of stuck on you, maybe, you know, maybe growing up or even now, you know, lazy or unfriendly or not smart or whatever those labels are? Or maybe even seemingly good labels like successful or good looking that generate all this pressure to keep all of it up. Or maybe it's labels that you have given yourself. Anyone here ever done something you're not proud of? Like for me, that's a long, long list of stuff, right? And maybe because of some of those things, you've given yourself a label. We all get labeled. We all get mislabeled. I heard uh, someone telling me that their neighbor's last name is Simkin, but people always add a final S and call him Simkins instead. So when he introduces himself, he always says Simkin with one S. Well, one day he was giving the clerk some information, and she was filling out a form and writing it down, and she wrote down Simkins. And he said, no, 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 just one S. So she crossed it out and wrote down Imkins. Mislabeled. It happens to all of us. What are the judgments and labels that you have experienced? And what are those things in your life that you're not proud of? Call those to mind right now. Because here's the good news that we just read from Scripture. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation except for, well, you. That's obviously not what it says. But that is exactly how we live. Right? Like we hear that verse, and even on a subconscious level, we go, ah, new creation, nah, it's not so much because, you know, there's this and there's that and all that. And we don't really believe it. We exempt ourselves or we exempt others. Like maybe you're looking around going, new creation, all I see is a bunch of old creations. Right? That person will never change. Or that group of people, oh, those Democrats, oh, those Republicans, oh, those activists, those opposite of activists, whatever that would be, slacktivists, right? <laughs> we exempt ourselves and we exempt others from that verse. So here's the question I think God's asking us today. Just who do you think you are? Just who do you think you are anyway? Because who you think you are may be different than who God says you are. And who you think you are will drive a lot of your behavior for good or for ill. If you think you are destined to fail, then you're going to shrink back from taking risks that otherwise would have led you into the adventure in life that God had for you. I know a guy who was told growing up that he was the tough guy who could force everyone to do what he wanted. People called that leadership. That's not what it is, but that's what they called it. Became kind of his identity. But as an adult, he had to unlearn it because that behavior in the office actually just made him a bully. And that's not leadership. Just who do you think you are because it'll drive your behavior? And who do you think they are, whatever that group is for you, because that will drive how you respond to them as well. 
God's promise is that you and I can break free from all the labels that we are living under, break free to become everything that he created us to be, and as a result, see others as God sees them, for who God created them to be, and that brings reconciliation. Because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. That is such a key verse in scripture. It is like one of the defining verses. I want to take it one phrase at a time, just unpack it a little bit, okay? If any one. Stop right there, because that is an important phrase. And it's interesting, because the word that's used for anyone in the original Greek means anyone. <laughs> or yeah, I went to seminary. Like, I can do stuff with Greek that you can't. Amazing things that you just saw right there. You know, this kind of ninja pastor right there. Not if important people, not if good people, not if good-looking people, not if rich people, if anyone. Second phrase is in Christ. That is, this is not something that we can do on our own. Jesus has to do it through us as we connect to him in prayer and scripture and in worship. I think of a man who grew up being mocked by peers and parents as a result, just carried a whole ton of shame. And one day in prayer, he was, he was praying and he just suddenly got this picture of himself as a little kid on the playground. And Jesus suddenly appeared and picked him up and started showing him to all of his peers as though Jesus were showing him off. And it kind of shifted something for him and his identity, his label, his name went from being shame to worthy of admiration. Sometimes the way God speaks to us about who we really are is through others. I've told you before that one of the most significant moments in my life was when the senior pastor I worked for in California said, Scott, you're a leader. Now, I had never thought of myself that way before. No one else had ever thought of me that way before. I knew that because they would say, Scott, you're not a leader. Right? They're very clear on that. And, and, but he said that, and it changed. It changed. I, he helped me see what God was doing in me. If anyone is in Christ, third phrase, they are a new creation. And Paul uses that word creation very intentionally. It refers back to Genesis 1 and 2. And Paul is saying, just as God created, he recreates. You are a new creation. Genesis, all over again. You, 2.0. Back to your original design, who God created you to be before all the hurts and sins and disappointments of this life wrecked you and wrecked me. Not who your parents say you're supposed to be. right? Like Not who your teachers say you're supposed to be. Certainly not who our culture says we're supposed to be. Because I don't know about you, but I try to live up to our culture's definitions all the time. And that can be kind of disappointing, right? I mean, I have yet to receive a call from GQ or Men's Health to be their cover model. Like, I'm starting to think it's not going to happen. Right? And I, can't, I don't know why. I mean, they've got all this to work with, right? Like, what a waste. Right? I guess it's kind of just not who God created me to be. Which brings me to the next phrase, the old is gone. Old is gone. In this passage, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a kind of identity theft, where Jesus steals our identity and gives us a new one. On the cross, Jesus takes on all of our sin and shame and puts his righteousness inside of us. Not that we don't sin, we still do, right? And not that there aren't natural consequences for our bad behavior, there is, but through Jesus we are forgiven and he is making us New, not all at once, it's a process. And God does not remember our sin. 
In the Bible, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. See, the doctrine of omnipotence and omniscience, they kind of go together. Omnipotence says that God can do anything, but willingly limits himself because human character grows best when God doesn't do everything for us. Similarly, omniscience says that God can know anything, but can also willingly blind himself to what he wants to forget, namely our sin. Several years ago, a man stopped me uh, one Sunday to say goodbye because he was moving, and he was concerned because years earlier he had come to me and confessed some sins to me, and he said, you know, that time I met with you, I hope that's not the only thing you remember about me. Now, I would never do that because I got enough of my own garbage to kind of be keeping track of everyone else's, right? But, but in this case, it was especially true because it had been so many years since he had come and confessed to me. For the life of me, I could not remember what he had said. So I just said, oh, pfft, consider it forgotten. <laughs> when we're fussing about our sins and failures and mistakes, when other people are putting labels on us, God says to us, consider it forgotten. I took care of that on the cross. Consider it forgotten. So when those old labels come up, you rebuke them in your mind. You go, that's not who I am. That's an old label. It is a damned lie, literally. See, repentance, preachers love to talk about repentance, right? Repentance is not, we've got to get it all wrong. It's not so much looking back and going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Repentance is looking forward to the future and what God can do and going, wow, you are good. Now, you might ask, well, if all that's true, the old is gone, then why do we still sin so often? Why do those old labels have so much force in my life? Well, two reasons. One, old habits die hard. This is a process. And two, we have an enemy, the devil, who loves to remind us of who we were to keep us living there. Which brings me to the last phrase, the old is gone, the new has come. You'll hear preachers sometimes say things like, we are, you know, we are all sinners saved by grace. I've said that many times. We are sinners saved by grace. Terrible theology. I'm correcting my bad theology right now. We were sinners, but if we've been saved by grace, we already are who God says we are. And the Christian life is not trying super hard to be a better person. It's leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit to live into who God says we already are. Jesus has already put his joy, his peace, his courage, his goodness inside your life in seed form. Our job is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and step into and live into who he says we already are. Take on that identity he's already given us. See, in faith, we don't have to just believe in God. We actually have to also believe God. And when he says you are this, live as though it were true because, you know, he's in charge. If anyone, no matter your past, no matter your present, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter what you think, no matter what others think of you, no matter the labels you've been given, no matter the sin, stain, spot, or blemish on your life, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, end of sentence, no commas, dash, semicolon, or parenthesis, no footnote, endnotes, or caveats, God says it, he's the boss, who are you to argue with him? So shut the door, Katie, you are a new creation and there is not a darn thing you can do about it. Somebody say amen. Amen. It is good, good news from a good, good father who is always in a good, good mood. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Part two, because as we see ourselves for who God says we really are, that then empowers us to see others for who God says that they are. 
which starts to bring reconciliation. This passage says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And the word reconciliation there alludes to a peace treaty signed between enemies. Later in the passage, Paul says, God has made us ambassadors of reconciliation. He is making his appeal to the world through us. In other words, he is looking to us, his followers, to bring reconciliation to the world. Kind of a scary thought, if you think about it. We've been talking all year about being pathfinders who help to heal our culture. And what this text says is when we see ourselves as God sees us, experience that in worship and prayer and community that reflects back to us who we really are, it helps us see others as God sees them, and that brings reconciliation and healing. So let me ask this. Do you think our culture could use some reconciliation these days? Like, we are ticked off people right now, aren't we? Everybody's mad at everybody. Liberals and conservatives, racial tensions, churches arguing about all kinds of stuff. In this passage, Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Remember, the context here is that a group called the super apostles are saying that Paul isn't worthy to be their leader because he's not good looking enough and he's not a good enough speaker and he's not a deep enough preacher and all of this stuff. But Paul says those are the world's criteria, right? It's how we tend to judge people. How successful are they? What race are they? What are their politics? What do they look like? Over Christmas break, my wife made sure that our kids had some books to read, which in the case of my son is very challenging because he likes lots and lots of action in his books. Like, you know, unless someone dies in a battle on the first page, he don't want to read it, right? So at one point during the break, he said, I'm bored. And Christina said, well, read that book that I gave you. And he said, it's boring. And Christina said, well, how far did you get into it? He said, the first word was boring. Isn't that kind of what we people do to us? Right? Like just decide in a flash who we are based on our job or our looks or our dress or whatever, you name it. And isn't that kind of what we do to others? Paul says, as we live into our new identity from God, we begin to see others for who God says they are, and that brings healing. One of the hopeful things I saw when I went to the West Bank in November was at a Palestinian Christian seminary. There are Palestinian Christians. And this seminary, one of the things they do is they bring Palestinians and Israelis together to talk about their personal experiences. Not to agree or disagree, just understand each other's experience. And as they listen, they discover that the vast majority of Palestinians are not terrorists and are just trying to raise their family and get by. And that most Israelis do not want to be an oppressive occupying force. They're just trying to raise their families in safety. Well, the last thing they do after this program is they go to the desert and they put an Israeli and a Palestinian on a camel together for three days. And by the end, they're friends because it equalizes all power, equalizes all economic distinction. I mean, nobody looks good on a camel, right? Just kind of equalizes it all. And working together that closely for three days breaks down all the stereotypes. There are no social reinforcements to their preconceived notions of who the other is. And they go from being enemies to friends because they can see past the labels. Now, I know this is a hot-button topic, Palestine, Israel. I know, hot-button topic. And right now, some of you may be going, yeah, yeah, that's a nice story, Scott, nice pastor story. But you don't understand, man. Those Palestinians, they're bad, they're dangerous because those Israelis, they're doing some bad things. Stop. Stop. (laughs) 
Where in scripture do we ever see Jesus saying, yeah, but those people, they're so bad that we have to. He made a terrorist named Simon committed to the violent overthrow of the Roman government, one of his disciples, and yet he also healed a Roman centurion, the occupier's son. Anti-anybody wrecks everybody. Anti-anybody wrecks everybody. Pro-everybody blesses everybody. God bless everyone, no exceptions. And when the people of God get on board with that, man, when the people of God get on board with what Jesus is doing there, when the people of God get on board with that, man, cultures heal, history changes, it's happened before. So here's one thing that the people of God could do right now to be pathfinders who help heal our culture. This is an election year. Anyone notice? And already it's getting a little bit toxic, isn't it? So I have an idea. Let's put all the candidates on a camel and then send them into the desert. What do you think? <laughs> all right, there we go. You know, I see a lot of angry comments these days on Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter. Twitter, at least, has the great virtue of limiting you to 140 characters. <laughs> Praise Jesus for Twitter. Those angry comments or the caricatures of, of your opponent's politics based on the extremes on that side, it does two things. First, you can wound a brother or sister in Christ who in some cases may sit just a few feet away from you on Sunday and who shares many of your same goals. They want the best for this country. They just think there's a different way to get there than you do. And besides, given the complexities of these issues, your opponent always has at least one good point. And second, it injects anger into our culture. Those comments inject more anger into our culture, and I think we have quite enough of that these days, don't you? The people of God can do better. The people of God are called to do better. Bell Press, we can be pathfinders who help heal our culture by modeling how to disagree without being disagreeable and show respect for the other side. And now you're all gonna go home and unfriend me on Facebook. <laughs> You know, I think of all the racial tensions in our culture right now, and one thing we could do is just listen to each other, not to agree or disagree, but just to understand the other person's experience. For those of us who are white, whatever you think of Black Lives Matter, our African-American brothers and sisters are trying to tell us something about their experience. Can we listen to them? Not to agree or disagree, just to understand their experience. And then it, go, you know, it goes both ways, too. There's a whole lot of white folks in our culture right now feeling blamed and shamed. And can we listen to that as well? Be like those Israelis and Palestinians on that camel, ambassadors of reconciliation in an angry, angry culture. And I'm going to walk my talk on this one. <clears throat> Over the next year, I'm going to be part of a group of pastors from all different, kind, all different ethnicities. And we're going to meet together once a month for four hours to talk about how we understand race in our context. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm not like on the hunt for things to put into my calendar. Like, that's pretty well taken care of. But I gotta do this so that I can understand the experiences of my Asian and black and Hispanic brothers and sisters in Christ, and for them to understand me as well. Because <clears throat> it is so easy to label and mislabel people when we don't really know them, right? When you don't really know, it's so easy to just slap a label on them. The other day, I was pulling out of a parking lot from the grocery store, and there was this car coming in. It was just going so slowly, and I hate slow, and I'm an impatient person, just going so slowly. So I'm like, come on, lady, come on, step on it. And as she drove by, it was my daughter. <laughs> Waving and smiling, hi, daddy. 
high, sweetheart. <laughs> right? And then, you know what happened? Then, in my mind, I thought, why is she going so fast? Slow down. <laughs> like it changes when we know them, right? It changes when we know them. So easy to make snap judges. Here's the good news. Jesus has set me free from my labels. And oh, guys, some of those labels, I deserve them. Some of those labels, I earned. Some of those labels, they are mine. I own them. But Jesus is setting me free from those labels. He is making me a new creation. I am not yet who I could be, but I'm not who I once was either. And that empowers me, and it empowers you to be ambassadors of reconciliation. That's why God puts you in the neighborhood, the office, the school, the family that you're in. I was talking to a man this week who, as part of his 12-step program, went and made amends with his former girlfriend. And he didn't want to do it, but he, in fact, he said, maybe I'll just write a letter or send an email. But his AA sponsor basically said, man up, go. And so he went and he told her all the ways he thought he had hurt her, right down to the little things like, I always expected you to cook dinner whenever I came over, and I didn't even help with the groceries. He said he was crying, she was crying, <clears throat> but when he was done, he said, Scott, it's like I saw her for who God actually made her to be. He didn't even know I was preaching this sermon and he told me that. He said, I, in my mind, I made, I made her all these negative things that she wasn't, and I, confirmation bias, I just took any piece of evidence I can to make her all these things in my mind that she wasn't, and I'm seeing her as she really is, and Jesus was just all over that room, because Jesus is all over that room whenever there's reconciliation. Jesus is making him brand new, which makes him a pathfinder who brings healing and reconciliation by seeing others as God sees them. So here's your homework. Just who do you think you are anyway? And how does that differ from who God says you are? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you experience his grace and, and live into who he says you already are. Because it's only as we do that that we then receive the power from the Holy Spirit to do step number two. Where are you seeing someone else differently than God sees them? A neighbor you're mad at, a, a coworker, a certain group of people. Where, what are those people? Ask Jesus, help me see them the way you see them. This is not something we can do on our own. We do need supernatural power. And we can't do this for everyone. That's overwhelming. But for one or two people. And try to listen as best you can to their experience. Not to agree or disagree, just to understand. I'll close with this. When I did college ministry, I had a lot of fraternity, sorority, athlete students who, for lack of a better term, were part of the cool kid crowd. And then I had a lot of students who were not part of the cool kid crowd. And there was a lot of resentment between the two groups. Now, just parenthetically, I know that most of us in this room are, are past college, and so that cool, not cool divide thing, right, it's no longer relevant to our lives. We don't do this anymore, right? Like, we don't have the in crowd and the out crowd. We don't have the wealthy, successful people and everyone else who wants to be a part of them. We don't judge people by their job title or their, or their salary or their clothes. No, 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 we don't do that. But just listen to this story anyway, you know, just in case. There were these three guys that I mentored, top of the cool pyramid guys, and, 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 and I, for the first, they were in the same fraternity, and for the first couple of years, I kept saying to these guys, you're a leader, you're a leader, lead, you know what I mean? You have the spiritual gift of cool, okay? That is street cred. Use it in your fraternity to make it more what God wants it to be. And they'd say, I'm not a leader, no, I'm, I'm too much of this, and I'm not enough of that, and I can't, and I'd say, well, that's not who God says you are. And then they would say, well, besides, Scott, if I did what you're asking, I mean, what would my frat brothers think of me? I'd lose cool points. 
And again, I know those of us past college don't do this anymore. We don't worry what other people think of us in the office or the neighborhood or anything like that, but just keep listening. During their junior year, during rush, that's when everyone goes to a bunch of parties and then the fraternity votes on whether they want you or not. Right? There was this one kid in our college ministry who was not part of the cool kid crowd, and he rushed this particular fraternity. That night, all the guys in that frat, on the first round of voting, voted this guy out. And then my three guys found their voice. My three guys stepped into who God said that they were, and they said, no, you can't do that. You see, he's one of ours. He's with us. We like him. We want him in. And they would not let it go. And they argued all night with their entire fraternity over this kid. And then about 7 in the morning, one of my guys just finally just burst into tears. And he said, you don't understand. I shouldn't be here. Do you know how screwed up I am? Do you know how many mistakes I make? Do you know how insecure I feel all the time? Do you know how uncool I feel all the time? He's no different if you don't want him, then how can you want me? And something in the room shifted. And not only did the guys vote that kid in, and not only did that kid go on to become a well-loved member of that fraternity, it changed the nature of that frat for the rest of the year. Made it more of a community. that The guys honored each other just a little bit better. Now, my guys didn't do that out of obligation. You know, a good Christian ought to. It wasn't an ought it wasn't an odd for them. They stepped into who God said that they were. They experienced that, and that gave them strength. Who cares what my frat friends think of me? I am a child of God, redeemed in Jesus Christ. I am who he says I am. I can do what he says I can do. Whom then shall I fear? And even if they lost some cool points in some people's eyes, they gained a ton of respect from everyone else, including me, man. I was so proud of them, and they were so ecstatic. I, like, I got a call like at 8 a.m. Scott, guess what God did? They, it wasn't obligation, they were overjoyed because they felt God using them to heal a fraternity. So just who do you think you are? And who do you think they are, whoever the they is for you? There's some grammar. And how can you live into who God says you are and become an ambassador of reconciliation and healing in a frat, in a school, in an office, in a neighborhood, in our culture? Because of anyone, and I do mean anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. I am a new creation. They can be new creations too. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No fine print, footnotes, or caveats. New creations all, for he makes all things new. That's just what Jesus does. He makes all things new. And that includes you and me and our culture out there. And that is the best news you're going to hear all week. Jesus, you make all things new. And Lord, I ask that you make us new. Make me new. Make us as a church new. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. And then, Holy Spirit, empower us to see others that way too, so that we can be your ambassadors of healing in an angry culture. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.